Hello, and welcome to this research-focused podcast from RCVS Knowledge. During these podcasts, we will be covering all aspects of veterinary clinical research, from getting involved in research in practice to discussing published papers and evidence, with particular emphasis on how we can integrate them into our clinical practice. Hello, my name is Sally Everett, and today I'm delighted to be talking to Dan O'Neill, who many of you will know from his work involved with Vet Compass and with the Brachycephalic Working Group. Dan is Associate Professor, Companion Animal Epidemiology at the Royal Veterinary College. And today we're going to be talking about some research which has recently been published in Nature Communications entitled Life Tables of Annual Life Expectancy and Mortality for Companion Dogs in the United Kingdom. Welcome, Dan. Before we start, can I just ask you to explain a little about what life expectancy is and how overall life expectancy differs from a life table? Thanks, Sally. It's a wonderful opportunity to be here and chat with you. Thank you very much. I loved your introduction, by the way, about uh, talking about getting involved in research and then talking about papers, because that's exactly my life journey, leaving veterinary practice and then starting to, to actually do research as well as reading it. Um, life tables. Life tables are fabulous. Um, the overall lifespan kind of describes if we started with a large number of animals, how long on average they would live. But it's going from time zero to the average age of death. Life tables are a much more um, precise way of looking at lifespan, where instead of starting the clock running at time zero for all animals, the life table allows you to start, say, with an animal that's already six years of age, and then to work out how long it will live from that point onwards. And that often gives you a very different estimate of lifespan towards the overall average. Excellent. In your paper, you make a difference between a cohort and a current life table. Could you just very briefly give an overview of what that means? Because I think it is important for people. Yeah, it's, it's hugely important. And this comes down to methodology. So a, a cohort, cohort literally means a, a group of animals that you follow over time. Yeah. So and the cohort life tables are where we start with a whole series of animals, say 30,000 dogs that are all born on a set date. We know they were born on that date. We were there on the moment they were born and we follow them all through to the point of their death. Yeah. Now, in an ideal world, that's what we would always do. Uh, it's a complete cohort study. The reality is it's almost impossible to do. Yeah. So what tends to be done instead is to either do a, a cross-sectional approach, which is where we start with a whole series of animals that have died and then we know their date of birth. So then we're generating death data but not necessarily having to follow them for 10 or 12 or 13 years. Um, and that, that then becomes a cross-sectional cohort. Not quite as reliable, um, because there will be animals that were born, lived and died that didn't quite make it into my study. So it's not quite as representative, but it's much more achievable. So when the study we're doing here is, is like a hypothetical cohort or a cross-sectional uh, approach, not quite as reliable, but much more achievable and still gives us huge information on lifespan. Thank you. That's really helpful because I think we're in veterinary practice. We're quite used to the idea of life expectancy. But as you say, we're taking that from the average lifespan of an animal. And this is a much more nuanced way of looking at it. So can I start just by asking a little bit about the background to this research, how you got involved in this particular topic? 
So that so it's a really good question. Um, so the the, the the further background is um, that I was a practitioner. I was in practice for 20 years and increasingly towards the end of my 20 years, I became more and more frustrated with the lack of evidence for much of what we do and say in practice. So even when clients would come and ask which breed to get and which breed would live the longest, I would always give an answer because that's what we do as vets. Clients ask questions, we answer questions. We believe our answers, but it doesn't mean our answers are correct or true. Um, there's a huge gap between an evidence-based answer and a belief-based answer. And um, I got to the point when I thought, actually, most of what I'm saying is belief-based. Um, so I moved from treating animals one by one in my own practice in Kent to working at the Royal Veterinary College doing a PhD to set up that compass. And the idea there is to collect clinical records, anonymized clinical records from veterinary practices right across the UK. And uh, that compass is set up, it's now running. We have 30% of all UK vet practices feeding in information, 20 million animals in the database. And, and that means it's all of us, the veterinary profession, the, the, the vets, the nurses, the receptionists, everyone who is chipping in, contributing this data. And that, that's the, the deep background. So then those data are then used to help me or the equivalent of me still back in practice with a solid, robust, reliable evidence base based on primary care records. So the idea with this particular study um, was to look at life expectancy, but it's just one of, uh, last week we had a skinfold dermatitis paper came out. That's the 106th vet compass peer reviewed publication since I started my PhD in 2010, the first paper was 2012. So they, so the, it's just another, um, it's almost like a jigsaw. We're just producing each paper is a separate piece of a jigsaw feeding into this overall picture. The aim with this one was to build on a previous um, overall life expectancy paper. Um, part of my PhD in 2014, I published an overall longevity study. And then um, that's useful, but it, it, it's telling you the average life expectancy per breed. It's very useful, um, but this one was taking it a stage further. And it meant that we could now predict the life expectancy from each point in an animal's life. And a lot of owners are introduced to an animal, not at birth, but maybe at rehoming. Um, when the animal is two or three or four, I'm thinking especially of dogs like greyhounds, um, you know, at, at rescue centers, you know, dogs trust some wonderful charities. So, so this is really important to get a distinction between the overall average lifespan and then lifespan from specific points in time. I can see this also being useful for any pet owner when you're discussing perhaps treatments with them, being able to talk about how long that dog is likely to live based on where it already is can help both the vet and the owner make their clinical decisions in practice. That's such a wonderful welfare point Sally and that's exactly where we're trying to go with all the vet comes evidence is trying to produce evidence that helps in the real world that helps veterinary professionals nurses and vets and it helps clients so a client that um, is faced with a difficult decision at a certain point in an animal's life by and being able to go to a life table and predict on average how long should be expected in that animal's life, that helps them to make their decisions to whether it's justified to put an animal through, let's say, a painful surgery that might have, you know, a certain length of time of recovery, and that recovery could be involving pain for their animal. It just means we can make a, a much more evidence-based welfare judgment. Um, and, and the whole idea is that by 
shining light onto issues by bringing more information into issues. We take the guesswork out of it. And it, it's 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 easing the cognitive load for vets and for owners when we're making tough decisions. And as you said, making it all more evidence-based. That leads us on really nicely to perhaps just talking a little bit more about the methodology for this study. It's obviously based on vet compass data, but presumably you didn't look at 20 million dogs records to do this. So perhaps you could just give us a little bit about how you selected your your data. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. When when I was in college, I graduated in 1987. You know, we had an epidemiology module. Everyone hated it. It was just horrible. It was boring. It was numbers. But epidemiology has come on, and uh, now with the modern vet students, I do lots of these research projects at the Royal Veterinary College with vet students, and actually most of them really enjoy it. It's it's much more easy um, to understand, and we have tools to do it. Um, so for this particular study, the epidemiology was that we started with a, a, a denominator, an underlying population of dogs that were alive in a single year in, in um, 2016. So um, we worked on these dogs. There was 900,000 dogs, so just short of a million. And then we followed those dogs over time to pick up all dogs that died. Um, so we knew they existed at a certain point in time and we followed them over time. So we picked up all the dogs that died, that was just over 30,000 in the, the sample that we worked through. So that was our core data set of deaths of, of deceased animals. For each of those dogs, we had a breed, we had uh, the date of birth, we had the date of death, we had what they died of, we had their uh, male, female, whether they were neutered, their body weight. And um, so we, we could then take those factors into account in the analyses. Um, so essentially, we had a huge data set, 30,000 deaths with all this ancillary information for the analysis. Fantastic. And so what were the main findings from this analysis? Well, the, you could actually even go back before the actual statistical results. So, so one of the first main findings is that veterinary clinical data is hugely useful for research. And that's an absolutely key finding yeah. because really up until the times of big data and vet compass type studies, th these data just sat on uh, veterinary clinical records, either paper records or electronic clinical records and um, kind of was a huge opportunity missed. So that's one big finding. The second big finding was that um, interestingly, when we looked at the overall life expectancy of dogs from the previous study, which was um, six, seven years ago, um, the life expectancy has gone down, which on the face of it seems odd because we might think that dogs are getting healthier and veterinary care is getting better, but there's a, a possible reason for that. Um, the overall life expectancy in this study was at 11.2 years. So that means that we have a summary value that we can say for dogs and their life expectancy, 11.2 years, and that's useful. But what that does mean is we've crunched 30,000 deaths into one number. Um, and some people love that because now I've got all this complexity and I have a single number and that's great, that's wonderful. The reality is it's kind of comfortable, but there's there's way more complexity in all of this. And dogs, dogs currently are the most, literally the most diverse yeah. mammalian species on this planet. And that's where the issue is here, it's the diversity. So the next big finding was that even though we had a, a standard average, I hate that word from an epidemiological sense, right? But an average um, life expectancy, it varied widely across the breeds. And that's, that's 
Most people in practice will be aware that there are significant differences between breeds, but again, your work has showed a lot more detail within that. It's a bit more subtle than just size and some breeds are particularly long lived. So excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly it. So in, in practice, you, you kind of get it, you get used to which animals die early and which animals die late. Um, the nice thing with um, data, big data, is that actually you have some figures to back it up um, because all of us have our own cognitive biases and we see what we tend to expect to see and stuff that we don't expect to see, we either don't notice it or we discount it. It's just what we do as humans. Um, so within this study, we could divvy the um, dogs up in certain ways. So we might look at male versus female and we might say, well, you know, OK, 11.2 years overall. But how does that work out for male versus female? Does one live longer than the other? And the study showed that female dogs were lived on average 11.4 years, whereas males lived on average 11.1 years. So it's 0.3 of a year. It's a quarter of a year. Might not seem like a huge pile. But if you're that owner of a dog really struggling as it gets towards the end of its life, if magically somebody was able to say, I could make your dog live another three months, you know, most owners would take that. So, so these, are, these are important factors. I think you've got some data in there about the difference in neutering, because neutering is a big topic at the moment and about how it affects Having gone from neutering or advising we neuter everything early, that's become a rather more nuanced discussion as well as to how it affects health. But again, perhaps some overall data on the effect of neutering on average may be useful here, because although you can't predict cancer in an individual breed, it could give us some, some help on those decisions and discussions with owners. Again, a really good question. Um, and even, and I suspect you've done it on purpose in your question, even when you're saying effects, that word, as, as, as somebody who's come from practice, where I assume something causes something, you, you end up going into the epidemiological world and you realize we can't say that. No, um, it's correlation. Not it's correlation, exactly. <laughs> not, not causation. Like yeah, on purpose to, to set up that question. So when we say effects, we're, 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 we're almost implying causation. And I've learned over time that if we have a characteristic variable that is permanent within the dog, I'm actually quite comfortable using the word effect, just as you have there, Sally. Um, so if, if I'm talking male versus female, I know those dogs always were male or always were female. So I'm quite comfortable with that. When we have a what's called a time varying variable, so something which um, varies throughout life, you have to be much more careful. So dogs end up starting life as being entire, and then at some point in their life journey, they become neutered, and then at some point they die. Yeah. So it may well be that, and certainly the results were showing that neutered dogs lived longer or died at a later age than entire dogs. But you also have to take into account that by living longer, you had more time to become neutered. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it may well be it's it's longer lived dogs are leading to being and being neutered, not neutering is leading. And this is the issue. But it, it's it's and it's one of there's a lot of research on neutering. Um, it's it, most of it in an ideal world, it, it, we should almost be doing cohort studies where we do start with the dogs at age zero and then we could very confidently answer the neutral question. At the moment, we're, we are seeing results that seem to, to shine a positive light on neuter in terms of longevity. 
but the jury is still out as to whether it's the neutering genuinely that causes that, um, which is why it's such a great question that you teed up there. <laughs> Thank you. One other thing that I thought was really interesting was that you discuss a little bit in your research is this point at which life expectancy reaches 1.5 years, which I thought was really interesting. I wonder if you'd like to just say something about that. Yeah, it's it, so there is different ways of trying to unpick the data to, to tell us something. So one way is to look at the overall life expectancy, and we can come back to that in a minute if you're interested, and break that down, say, by breed, for example, and compare breeds, right? Yeah. Um, another way is to look at the, the life tables, but each, and we have them in the paper, but each breed has its own pattern, and those patterns can be quite unique. So when you're trying to compare breeds, another um, metric is to say right what we will do is we will we will find the age at which you're almost into the final section of life for most animals um, so it's not quite the total the average life expectancy it's not the maximum life expectancy it's where you're getting very close to the end and that's that final group when you're into that um, uh, almost end stage of life when we did that and we have it in the paper it shows a a wonderful and helpful clear pattern across the breeds showing the differences between breeds and the age that they get to that final pattern um, with french bulldogs and english bulldogs being at one end and then other breeds such as jack russell's yorkshire terriers crossbreds overall being at the other end. yeah um and that raises the issue of french bulldogs because while i think everybody would understand that some breeds are shorter lived than others and brachycephalic dogs have a whole range of health issues. The one thing that did stand out for me in this study was just how short the life expectancy of the French Bulldogs turned out to be. Would you like to say something about that? Because I think there are a few reasons why that might be happening in this particular study. Correct. Great question as well. Um, and some of those reasons are genuine biological ones and some of them are methodological. So so essentially, so there's a couple of concepts. So I, when I left practice, uh, I was interested in dogs as a species and my PhD was about purebreds versus crossbred dogs. And it, it took me a little while for the penny to drop that actually that's a false division that we have purebreds and crossbreds, but the purebreds are made up of breeds. And those breeds are very distinct. And I'm now coming very close to the viewpoint when I would propose that we move from calling them dog breeds to dog species, and that we have as many species as there are breeds. So species in the wild are, are groups of animals that breed with each other, and they produce animals that look like themselves, but don't breed with other species. When we look at dog breeds, that's exactly what happens with them not because of nature or because genetics means they can't breed with each other but because that's what humans do we don't allow yeah. them to breed with each other and if that does happen the thing that's born is a different creature it's no longer part of what we call currently a breed so you could argue it's now outside the current species and we just retain the original breed as being part of the species um, when we look at breeds or almost now getting to the point of calling them species, these results showed huge differences, absolutely huge. And this is another reason why I'm moving to thinking these different breeds are different species. They are so different in their patterns of disease. I've done uh, breed studies on greyhounds and border terriers, bulldogs, French bulldogs, pugs, etc. Every single one of them has a different pattern of disease. 
greyhounds, for example, 39% of them have dental disease. Yeah, it's just standout. No other breed has a, has a disease pattern like that. When we look at bulldogs, the top diseases are skin fold, dermatitis, cherry eye. There is no other breed that has those sort of top disorders. And um, so each breed is almost a unique, distinct species in terms of its lifespan, in terms of its health profile, and, and in terms of its physique, because that's what we've done. We've created these different species. In this study, when we looked at life expectancy, overall life expectancy, 11.2 was the, the average, the middle, but the French bulldog was way down at one end at 4.5 years, right? Horrifically different. Um, there was then a cluster of uh, breeds, English bulldog 7.4 years, pug 7.7, American bulldog 7.8. So these are, are all severe brachycephalic dogs, but with lifespans that are 30, 30%, maybe 40% shorter than the average. Now, I, I suspect the French bulldog it obviously does have a very short lifespan. All the other studies say the same thing, but I suspect that the um, very low level here is also an artifact of the study design in that the French bulldog is rapidly uh, becoming popular in the UK. That means we're introducing lots and lots and lots of young French bulldogs into yeah. the overall population. Therefore, if a French bulldog is to die, on average, it's going to be a young dog because there just aren't that many relatively older dogs. And I have a feeling when their um, popularity will flatten out um, that their average life expectancy will be pretty much the same as the bulldog and the pug. It'll probably be seven and a half years. Um, so, so that result is artificially low. What it does say very, very, very clearly is that extreme brachycephaly is associated with severely shortened life that's that's a very distinct message so we have to think yes there are breed species differences here or artificially imposed species differences here but we also have to remember a little bit about the demographics of the cohort we're looking at so when a particular breed becomes suddenly very popular that's going to skew the demographics within the population such a great point, because that's exactly where I was coming to with this as well. So in other words, we're describing the current population. And my opening comment here was that when I did my PhD study and I was looking at longevity, well, maybe five, six, seven years ago, the, the typical average longevity of dogs in the UK was longer than it is now. Um, what has also happened in the intervening time is that the breed profile has changed exactly as you have just said. And certain breeds have fallen out of favor, breeds like Labrador Retrievers, which were at the top, and certain breeds have come to dominate. These are the severe brachycephalic breeds. So the UK has become a, a country that has fallen in love with French Bulldogs, Pugs and English Bulldogs. And because those dogs have shorter lifespans, whether that's good or bad, we can talk about, that is bringing down the average. Um, so in other words, the average just reflects the animals that currently exist. Very good point. Which leads us on very nicely. Um, it's a wonderful piece of research. I was absolutely fascinated by it. But all research has limitations. So what would you say are the main limitations of this study? So in this study, so the, the, even though I'm talking about big data and vet compass and 30,000 vets, and, you know, it's probably one of the biggest um, uh, groups of, of uh, data on dogs and longevity ever recorded, one of the limitations is it's not big enough to my mind. We need more. We need 60,000, 90,000, 120,000. So within this study, um, we were able to focus in on 18 
breeds that are common enough that we had large enough data that we could report them individually. Yeah. But um, in the in the UK, there's 220 breeds recognized roughly by the Kennel Club. In Vet Compass, uh, we have a much more extensive breed list. It's over 800 breeds. In, in my world, the Vet Compass world, I count the designer breeds, cockapoos, labradoodles, they're breeds. Um, owners buy them, they're recognized on the street, they're a breed. They might not be a, a registered, recognized pedigree breed, but they're a breed. So the first thing is um, we need more, more numbers, more data. And um, that just comes down to time and research at time. We will do that. So that's a limitation. We had the limitation earlier that this is, it's really a hypothetical cohort or a cross-sectional design. It would be lovely to follow from birth. Um, I'm not sure that will ever be possible. So we may well just have to live with that limitation. Um, but the, the main limitation is, is um, methodological from that. It's the size of the study. And then trying to interpret some of the time varying variables like neutering. Um, and, and actually, one of uh, I think we've kind of overcome it with a lot of the, the press release, but another big limitation of science is dissemination. A lot of science is published, really excellent work goes into publishing it, analyzing it, um, and then it goes into a top journal, and then other researchers read it, and that's the typical academic circle. Um, where Vet Compass tries to break that mold is um, that our target audience isn't just academics or veterinary professionals, they're key, but it's actually owners. Yeah. Owners choose which dogs to buy, owners choose how to care for their dogs, owners choose when they spot their dogs are sick, owners choose when to come to a veterinary surgeon, owners choose whether to take up the vet's advice, owners choose whether to come back for revisits. So the target audience is owners. We're trying to bring them into the um, overall veterinary care and decision-making more and more and more. Um, and that we've tried to overcome here by doing a press release. We have a, an infographic, so a, a, a visual a pictorial representation of the paper that's free to download from the Vet Compass website. And it, it, it works really well on social media. So veterinary practices could just take that and put it on their social media. I think that leads in really nicely to sort of my virtually last question, which is how do you see these life tables being used? Yeah, it's a really good question because there's, there's when it comes to science, there's basic science. So that's science for the sake of science, science for the sake of knowledge. We're just trying to scratch that little cerebral itch we have to learn a little bit more. And then there's applied science, the question you've just asked, Sally, which is brilliant. So that means taking the science and saying, well, how can I use this to change the world? Um, many different ways. So say, for example, if you're uh, somebody planning to rehome a dog or if you're a charity that does rehoming, um, using the old style approach. So using the heuristic that dogs on average live 11.2 years. If I'm rehoming a, a seven year old dog, I might then say, well, that dog on average is going to live, you know, 11.2 minus seven. So 4.2 years by having the life tables. We know that we can do much better than that. We know that dog has already lived to seven. Therefore, it's already overcome many opportunities to die. And on average, it will live a lot longer than 11.2 years. And we can go to the life table. We can read across uh, uh, from its current age and we can predict what age that dog will live until. So as, as the owner taking on that dog, you now know better about the expectations, your responsibility, how long you're going to have that dog. And also, um, it gives you some reassurance that this dog isn't going to just die at 11.2. And from the rehoming center, it's actually a much more positive message. Um, also, 
the life table and paper allows us to take into account whether it's male or female and take into account its breed. So rather than this simple heuristic of 11.2 for all dogs, and as I've said, I no longer believe really that there is a, a dog as such. I think there's as many species as there are breeds. We can go to each breed or species, I'm using inverted commas, and read for each one. So we can, it's all about precision of the results. Um, so the, the, the overall um, life table is sensible in that way. Life tables are also a measure of summary health. So it means that we can take these life tables and we can, in humans, for example, this is what they do. They, they do, in the UK, they do a census every three years. In the US, it's every year. It's used as an, a summary metric of our overall health. And if the general population is getting uh, more unhealthy, so COVID might have driven this, obesity could be driven it, um, you know, on average, we're going to die earlier on average. Yeah. So it means we can use this as a, um, a welfare summary for each breed. Yeah. And we can look at the lifespan and we can say, well, on average, a bulldog lives 7.4 years, dogs on average live 11.2. Therefore, this is strong evidence that the cumulative effect of all the issues within English bulldogs is shortening its lifespan by X amount. Um, the flip is that animals that die early, um, then we can say if they didn't have all those issues, they would have lived until X time. So a, a breed that's dying at 7.4 years, that on average, if it didn't have all the limitations of that breed, would live until 11.2 we can talk about the burden of disease on that breed and the life lost um, or expected life lost. So it means we now have a measure of the degree of urgency we should apply to breeds that have shorter lives that we think should have longer lives. Excellent. So that sounds, I was going to ask about further research, but this sounds like a sort of ongoing and constant to be updated piece of work that um, have enormous potential for the future to look at not only perhaps at more breeds, but also to follow breeds over time and see how the health of the breeds is improving. Um, I wish you very good luck and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us this afternoon. Thank you very much, Sally. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. And obviously all the, these papers are open access. They're, they're free to um, access on the Vet Compass website as are the infographics. And again, if your listeners are working in veterinary practice, veterinary nurses, vets, receptionists, thank you very much for contributing to Vet Compass. Um, much appreciated. Thank you again, Dan. And um, we will also provide links to the published paper um, and the infographic on the Vet Compass website um, after with this podcast. And I would recommend that anyone who looks at this also looks at the supplementary material because that actually includes the life tables by different breed. If you have enjoyed this podcast and would like to find out more about veterinary clinical research and evidence in practice, please have a look at the evidence and library sections on our website. For more podcasts from RCVS Knowledge, find us on your favourite podcast platform.